I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Judy Gammon, author of Love, <clears throat> Life, and Lucille, Lessons Learned from a Centenarian. Author, speaker, CEO, and podcast host, Judy Gammon, was so busy as a third-generation workaholic that she didn't even notice life was passing her by. While working on the book Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100, Happy, Healthy, and Wise, she interviewed centenarian Lucille Fleming. What started as a short meeting about what it took for Lucille to make it to 100 soon turned into an incredible friendship that spanned nearly four years. Lucille's wisdom, humor, and love of life completely changed the trajectory of Judy's future. She's the CEO of Executive Medicine of Texas, author of seven award-winning books, a national speaker, and the host of the Stay Young America podcast. She's also been featured in the media, including Fox News Radio, as a healthy living expert. Welcome to the show, Judy. Nice to have you on. Well, it's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, and I, I'll just give you two seconds of my background. I have a 99-year-old mother, so I'm really interested in this topic because uh, she's soon to be 100. Um, and you said that, I guess maybe I said in the beginning, that um, Lucille changed the trajectory of your future. So how did she do that at age 100? Well, I think it just goes to prove that whether like your mother who's 99 or Lucille who is over 100, that people still have a purpose in life. And for me, you know, that chance meeting uh, with Lucille was was just so serendipitous. I was working on a book called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100 Happy, Healthy, and Wise, and really focused on the research because that's my background. And then I just had this epiphany, you know, hey, why don't I just ask people over 100? And I never expected in my wildest dreams or pictured someone like Lucille when I thought of what I was going to encounter when I started interviewing these people that were, you know, centenarians. And and certainly Lucille was so full of life and she had this spark about her. And I thought, you know, this is, this is, I want this. This is, this is a wonderful thing to have such a love of life, such a joy of life. And her life was not without heartbreak. Her life was not without disappointment. Her life was not without struggle. But she seemed to find ways, no matter what season she was in, to still enjoy life, still grow, still love life, and still have a purpose. And being like you mentioned in in my bio, being a third-generation workaholic, I, I don't think I had fully appreciated what life was about. I think I really thought life was more about work and, and titles and what you can get done in that, that infamous checklist we all have. And it, it really was a game changer for me and not just, you know, change the trajectory in my life, but look at the generations to come. I mean, my kids got a new mother out of it. <laughs> well, that's really positive. <laughs> that's great. Um, but when you were talking to Lucille what were some of the specific things that she did? Because you're talking about, yeah, workaholic, I get that, and we've all have our list, and we've got to do this, and we have to do that. But Lucille, no, that wasn't how she lived her life, no matter what, even in the bad times. But there was something about she was able to appreciate, almost like TM, every, you know, every day, every day counted, and, and every day was very positive. Uh, but so how did she, let's talk like how did she do that? 
Well, one thing about Lucille, and I think this is why um, at, at over 100 she had so many people come to her funeral, because usually when, when people die that are elderly, all their friends are gone. All yeah. their, you know, their, their people, their, the people they influenced are gone, and it's usually just a small uh, gathering. But Lucille was so different because she, she made everyone feel like the most important person in the room. And it wasn't fake. It was genuine. She really cared about people's stories. She really cared about them. She, she used her ears more than she used her mouth. And when she used her mouth, it was, it was brilliant. <laughs> and it was fun. And it was funny. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, the things that, that I hear so much are the people that have read the book Love, Life, and Lucille is that they, they felt all the feels. It made them laugh. It made them cry. It made them think. It, and and in still in some way, she's still out there changing people's lives. And I think that's what made her so special is she really saw with her eyes. She saw whoever she was talking to. She saw the world around her. And we're kind of walking through life, especially right now, with such blinders on. And we have more mouth than we have ears. And, and we're kind of got it backwards. And it's a little wonder that we're so miserable and you know, the antidepressants are the best-selling drug out there, and, and suicide rates are up and, and such, because we've gotten away from this very principle that, that Lucille lived by. And, and you know, I, that's why I think it's so important to share her message. Um, people that, that have read the book, I mean, just the letters and the emails and the posts that they make, I, and they make me cry all the time. You know, it's like, wow, you know, I knew this story had to be told, but I had no idea how impactful it would be. Well, I think one of the things just to, you know, in terms of what you're saying is we leave this kind of frenetic, frenzied life. There's a frenzy to it and a craziness to it and a racing and running and an overload with information. Of course, in that generation, those people who now have lived to 100 didn't live this way initially. I mean, they were introduced to a very different world than we have been, let's say. So we've just, you know, we're on this, the trajectory that you were on before you became a new mother. And, um, and that doesn't, do good things for your emotions or your body either. Well, what do you say to people? Because you would, were doing research, you know, for people who are 100 years old. Um, what do you say to the ones who physically are maybe are in pain and don't feel well and are, you know, as you also mentioned, there are the people in their lives are all they're the people of their age are dead. You know, they're not alive. They don't have that kind of support because there are all those issues. I think that as you age, one has to deal with. I think the best um, combatant of either depression or pain or loneliness is, is really be in the, the service of others and find a purpose. It doesn't matter how old you are, how burnt out, how washed up, how, many mistakes you've made, you still have a purpose in life. Um, look at Lucille at over 100 all the way until just two weeks shy of her 104th birthday. She reinvented herself out and about with me and became a longevity expert. She didn't know that was going to happen, but you know, she was open to when I said, can I interview you about this book? Sure. And you know that thing led to this friendship, which led to her going out on book tour with me on the Age to Perfection book. And then that that friendship blossomed in so many new ways. And one day it was like, 
look at you. You're a longevity expert, not like stuck. And I think that's a lesson we all need to learn. And it doesn't matter for your listeners what age or what stage they're in. It doesn't matter, um, you know, what their background is, their, their races, their socioeconomic classes. Everyone has a purpose. If you have breath in you, you have a purpose. And it's your job to figure out what it is and how you can help and touch others' lives. When we get so wrapped up in ourselves, that's when we're miserable. That's when we feel the most pain. That's when we're the loneliest. That's when things tend to go the worst. But when we step out and we are an active participant in our own life and we're serving others in some way, uh, some fashion, we find purpose. And, and life is about purpose. And you know, even Lucille's family has shared with me many times that they think she lived almost 104 because she always has something to look forward to. I'm like, oh, we're going to go do this or we're going to go do that. And and she like loved that she had this interview coming up or we were going to go to lunch or you know all these things to do. Busy, the right kind of busy is very good. Now, uh, we talk about being busy and being workaholics and things like that. That's busy, but that's kind of the wrong kind of busy. You got to have got to have good busy in there but but sitting idle isn't isn't any good either so yeah we talk about she was she was older and we and how people over you know seven in their 70s 80s and 90s they they tend to slow down it's okay to slow down in some fashions but you still got to stay active like Lucille played duplicate bridge and won all the time <laughs> she kept her mind active she served on the residence council where she was she, you know, still had a, a purpose and she still had a drive and she knew she still had skills and she needed to use them. Yeah. Well, purpose, drive, all those things, you're absolutely right. And I think busy is a key word because I think sometimes people, even as they age in their 70s, 80s and 90s, they, they stay busy, but just to fill the time and there really isn't a purpose to the busyness. So it's it's kind of a, uh, just, you know, so that's not a good thing, but an open to new experiences key. And I think as as one ages, that's a tendency not to be open to new experiences, just repeating the same experiences over and over. And as you're talking about Lucille, that's what she did. She always was there. And what's, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to climb Mount Kilimanjaro to have a new experience. They're right there in your own in own living room, right? And that you have to, I, that, I think that is so important. Um, and, and you're talking about Lucille, but the people that I know um, who have lived to their 90s, let's say, um, that I think that's one of the key things, open to new experiences. They don't shut down. They don't just get routinized, I guess is the word. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of research out there that shows that we have great neuroplasticity and for, for your listeners, that means we used to think, you know, that you're born with certain things in your brain, so many cells, and those cells die, and then um, you, can't, you can't learn new things after such an age. I mean, this used to be the belief. But we know now, especially through functional MRI and through a lot of the, the wonderful scientific advancements, that we have neuroplasticity. We can make new neural pathways in our brain. We can learn new things. We can grow. We can basically make our brain more useful because we're using it in new ways. And, uh, you, you know, Lucille and even the other people that I had interviewed for the Asia Perfection book that were over 100, these people tended to know this intuitively. 
It wasn't that they read the articles and or the studies. They just knew, hey, when I am doing new things or when I'm um, you know, making new friends or having conversations with people that I normally wouldn't have conversations with, there's something happening that, that breathes new life into me. They knew this. And I think that really played a huge role into their longevity. So it's their personalities, I would assume, but also what you're saying is they were self-aware. When they had these experiences, they realized they felt it. They felt it physically, mentally, emotionally. I feel better when I engage in these new experiences, and they were aware of it. Would you say that's true about most? Yeah, uh, yeah I, would, I would completely agree with that statement. They, you know, they were present in their own lives, and we tend to, especially as Americans, um, not be present in our own lives. We are watching other people's lives on social media, or we are having the opinions of other people, but we're not having our own experience. And we've got to get back to recognizing the importance of having our own experience and, and living our own lives. Who are we as individuals? What do we have to author, offer? What do we have to, um, what do we have to leave behind as a legacy? These are all very important questions we need to be asking ourselves. And, and pre Lucille, I wasn't asking myself that really, I was kind of going through the motions, and and all the things I thought were important weren't really that important. I, I and look at the relationship, the friendship that Lucille and I had, and, and it was it was best friends. I mean, there's no other way to define it. People are like, oh, was she a mother figure to you? No, no, it wasn't it at all. Like literally, we were best friends. We were giggling, hackling, like I, you know, sharing everything, talking about all the topics that were you know usually off. Um, off the the boundaries of what you can talk to people about, you know, religion and politics and all those things. And we didn't always agree on, on particular things. But we were having real conversations. We were, like I say, we'd solve the world's problems. But we also were very aware of the human experience. And we talked a lot about the human experience. And a lot of times when I'm, I'm interviewed, I, I really want to get this point across because it's something we may have forgotten that the human experience is the same, regardless of where you're born, what generation you're born in, you know, your socioeconomic class, your race, all of these things. Everybody has a first love. Everybody knows what it means to lose something, whether it's a pet or a parent or a, a friend or whatever it is. We experience loss. We experience disappointment. We experience elation where we're so excited because something went our way. This is all part of the human experience. And when we look at friends and, and the people we need to have more relationships with, we need to think about who do we want to share our human experience with? And that's exactly what I had the, the pleasure and the, and the luck of doing with Lucille. We, we shared that human experience and we talked about things that you really wouldn't, um, just tell anybody. And, you know, Lucille had this uh, this funny thing. We'd be like, okay, this is a take it to your grave, meaning we're going to tell each other this, but it doesn't go anywhere. So when she died, all I could think was, boy, she got out of that easy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, see, we, we, we had all these, these secrets just about, and, you know, they weren't even like necessarily things you'd have to keep a secret, but they were just things, you know, maybe the most disappointing time in your life or 
sometime you, you did something you weren't really proud of or, or those kind of things. We shared those and talked about them openly. And it was, it was so, um, I don't know, eye-opening. It kind of hold a, a mirror to your own self and, and have somebody who accepts you regardless of all of those things. I mean, I'll give you an example. As a woman, I had had a miscarriage, and I never really talked about this. And and I, when I had talked to Lucille about it, she shared with me that she had had a miscarriage. And the experience of having a miscarriage, the heartbreak and the pain was was very real. And it was very real and very similar. The experience of having it was very different because back in her day, you didn't talk about it. You didn't talk about it and you weren't allowed to have the emotions of it and the life goes on. And um, she didn't really deal with that until she and I were friends. And that was probably the first time she had ever dealt with, with that holy. Um, She had went through this, this bout of depression and I talk about it in the book and she was very open about it in her life, but everyone around her didn't really know what was going on. And the doctor told her, go back to work. She was a nurse, go back to work. That's what you need. Go back to work. And, and it did help her distract, but you know, distraction from grief only delays the grief. And so I'm so glad that we opened up and we talked about these things and, and she at a hundred, you know, we're, we're talking decades after the fact, she kind of came to peace with the whole thing. And those are the kind of, of, of things that you can only do and in, in the conversations you can only have really with a true best friend. And I think that's a good example of, of that relationship she and I had. And, and Judy, it's not just Lucille. Obviously, I'm listening to the story and, and, and you it's you too. You opened yourself up to having a best friend who's 100 years old. And many people don't do that because the person is 100 years old or 90 years old. And they don't want to share the human experience that you've been talking about. Or, you know, yes, you would share, you know, I had a miscarriage with your best friend who, who's, but you don't necessarily or wouldn't have done that with someone who's 100. And then so you were available too. You made that connect. You have to, it, it takes, obviously, um, it takes both of you to be able to do that and make that connection. And I think it was interesting also what you said, you know, giving give, miscarriage as an example, because it's it very different in different generations. And you, you so you were able to, to share that too. Um, you know, in her generation, yeah, you never talked about that stuff. You didn't talk about sex. You didn't talk about, you didn't talk about any of those kinds of things, which we obviously do today. But, um, yeah, I think people cut themselves off from older people. I'm just taking it from your perspective. And um, discrimination is a huge thing among the elderly and the aging population. Well, you're spot on with that. And one of the things that I tackle in the book, and I'm very open about, and and some people when I interview, you know, I've had a couple of news stations that, that really want to go down this road, and I think, you know, Maybe this is something, a cause I should take on. But one of the things I tackled is when she had to go into rehab because she had had an injury, the, the lack of appropriate places for seniors to go to rehab and even the skilled nursing facilities for people who um, can't stay in their own homes, it's, it's a real problem in this country. We ignore it. And we really can't ignore it anymore. We've got to 
to come up with some solutions that that are so much better. Our, our seniors deserve better. Our elderly deserve better. And we've got to look at that population in a whole new light. And I'm not sure how we how we get there, but I know it is definitely an, an issue. And it's it's sad. In, in other yeah. countries, we really revere the wisdom in in our elderly, and this is in all countries, you know, it's not just the United States. There's some, there's some other countries that are like us, but then you have countries like Japan. You have, you know, countries where the, the elderly are, are lifted up and, and they're welcome, not just welcomed, but, but respected at this incredible level. And there's so much, and I learned this with Lucille, there's so much that these people have to give us. And we're wasting our time as a society looking to politicians and celebrities and who's got the most followers on social media. And we're spinning our wheels looking for solutions from people who don't have the solutions. They don't have the solutions because they don't have the experience. If we could bottle up all this experience and, and knowledge and, and wisdom out of our, our elderly, Wow, I think we could solve a lot of world problems. Yeah, and instead we're dismissive. I I know with my own mother, and I have these small, young young grandchildren. She has great advice because she knows she's 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 had a lot of grandchildren and great grandchildren and children, and she has a lot to say, and it's always very helpful. And and so I always engage her in those kinds of conversations. So you're absolutely right. Instead, we have these warehouses for old people. That's what you know. That's the the word yeah. they use, God's and I think it's room, true. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. God's waiting room, and uh, yeah, but warehousing—that word that keeps coming up. Um, so, uh, I mean, you—I think you should take on the cause. You said you were thinking maybe this was an issue you need to take on. I think it is because I think you've had so much experience in this field, very personal, obviously, with Lucille and and other um, older hundred-year-olds. Uh, um, so we only have a few minutes left. So what else? Let's talk about well, obviously where you we can um, get the book, website, and other work that you're doing, and uh, get yeah. more information. Yeah, great. Well, Love, Life, and Lucille and Age to Perfection are both available anywhere um, books are sold online. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of those places. And and also, if people want to go to to my website, Judy Gammon, J U D Y G A M A N. Dot com. If they want to go to judygammon.com, then they can order books there, but they can also, if they order like the Lucille book, I'll sign it, write them a little note, send a picture of Lucille and I along with it as a, a keepsake. I think that uh, I have a lot of, of readers who have done that, and they say that they, they put the picture up, and it just reminds them to, to really embrace every moment, every day. That's great. And oh, I think... Uh... You're really doing good work, and I thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my it. pleasure. Yeah, thank you so thank much. I love the show, and yeah. it's an honor. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 